This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. You can head to our website, cgc.org.au, and there you can download all the um, previous messages in this series. So we're looking at the nature of true Christianity. And the section we've been in is through death to resurrection. I think it says part four there, but this is the third part. Uh, We've condensed it a bit. And, um, uh, you know, at the carols, uh, you'll get to hear them sing the Hallelujah Chorus. They sing that each year. And this would be the, uh, the appropriate spot to sing the Hallelujah Chorus is when Christ resurrected. Amen. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 6 and Galatians 2 verse 20. Romans chapter 6. In verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Let's just read that through together. You can read off the screen so we're all in the same translation. Therefore, We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Even so, or in the the same way, in the same manner, or therefore. Galatians 2 verse 20, let's read this together as well. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And all God's people said, Amen Amen and Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, Paul here summarizing a couple of aspects of the Christian life, and that is that we enter into Christ's death through faith in Jesus Christ, and then as he was raised from the dead, by faith in Jesus Christ, God also resurrects us from the dead into a new life, which Paul states so concisely. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life that I'm now living in this mortal temple, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I would urge you each day this week just to go recite that verse a number of times, emphasizing living by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loves you. Who loved me and gave himself. Emphasize that when you say that and be reminded of the love of God for you. So just a very quick recap. We haven't done much recap. Uh, We've kept that short. So a quick recap. Here's the basic consideration of the Christian life, that Christ died in history and rose in history. History is events that happen at a time and in a place. So we talk about Christ being crucified 
on Calvary's hill. That's the place. It happened at a time in history. We can't point to the exact time and hour, but those who were present could talk of that time and hour. Second, he rose in history. Third, when we placed faith in Jesus Christ, we died with him. That's what we just read in Romans 6, that we died with him. We were buried with him. We died with him. Fourth, we will be raised by him as he was raised. And we have already been raised to a resurrection of sorts, that we've been made alive in Christ Jesus into a new life. Fifth, we are to live by faith as though we are dead. And sixth, we are to live by faith now in this present history as though we've been already raised from the dead. That's how Paul speaks of it, that you and I, by faith in Jesus Christ, have been raised, as it were, from the dead. We were dead before in trespass and sin. By faith in Jesus Christ, we were crucified with him, died with him, and have been raised to a new life. That's why Paul says in Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, this is not merely a projecting of our imaginations, but this is a biblical way of thinking. This is a way of having our minds trained into thinking the way God would have us think. It's not some uh, esoteric idea or, or some cosmic idea, some new age idea. This is a biblical way of thinking. <clears throat> Romans 6, 10 and 11. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. There is no extra crucifixion of Jesus. There was no one so sinful that the death of Jesus couldn't cover them that time. And so, you know, he'll be crucified again for that person. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. All right. So now the resurrected Jesus is living to the glory of God. Verse 11 then says, likewise, you also. This is how we're to think. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in the same way, so church, did Jesus die? Yes. Yes. Was he resurrected? Has he ascended to be with the Father? And he's living to the glory of God, yes? Likewise, you also Reckon your life to be this way. This is how you're to think about your life. That when you placed faith in Jesus, you have died indeed to sin. But now you're alive for the glory of God because of what? Because your life is in Christ Jesus. That's what it is. By faith in Jesus Christ, you are now in Christ Jesus so that the life you live now can be for the glory of God. If you have to live this life under your own steam, which many of us have done and many of us do at many times in our lives, that is when we are essentially powerless.
So verse 11, which starts with likewise, it's not isolated here as a separate verse, but it starts on the board with likewise. You also reckon yourselves, and the word reckon there is this accounting term of of balancing the sheet and understanding that this is the state of your budget, so to speak, your spiritual budget, that that's what the balance sheet shows, that you are to reckon yourselves, understand on your balance sheet that you are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are to be dead, not asleep, not unconscious, not, not walking around in some kind of zombie state. You and I are dead to sin. Not locked away in some darkness, but we're dead to sin and we are alive to God in communion with him, in communication with him through prayer and he with us through his word. So where does our battle with sin come from in this life? Because as Paul says in Romans 6, he who is dead sins no more. Where does our battle with sin come from? Why do we yield to sin? And it's because in that moment, in that time, in that experience, we are not reckoning ourselves to be dead to sin. We're living to ourselves in that moment. And Ourself is giving way to the pleasure we want or to the thing we want, to the desire we want. And one of the big drivers of this in our lives is a lack of contentment. This is a huge drive in the issue of sin, that we're not content with fill in the blank, whatever it might be at that point. We're not content with our station in life in that regard. And so as a result, the desire to fill that contentment becomes wrongly driven and steers us into a path of sinfulness. Think about the commandment. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. Just imagine yourself living in some little tin shelter. When I was over in Fiji, um, I've been there several times preaching and taking care of a friend's church. It wasn't uh, wasn't holiday and uh, it was full on and I went to see uh, this this fellow, went to visit him and his uh, his dwelling, his house was a lean-to, literally. Uh, about three or four pieces of tin uh, wrapping around three on the side and then a couple over the top and the whole front was open and because the weather mostly came from the, the northwest, I believe, the opening was to the southeast to keep as much rain out as possible. It rains in Fiji and it rains, it really rains there. And so that was his shelter and he was living and serving the Lord and excited about serving the Lord. And the last thing on his mind was was having a house like some of the rich people did. That wasn't his concern. His concern was to serve the Lord. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Well, I'm sure that most of us living in our, you know, nice brick veneer home here in Melbourne, 
Do not look at that kind of a dwelling, uh, four or five sheets of tin strung together with a few poles and say, man, I wish I had that house. Oh, I'd kill to get that house. We don't think that way, do we? Because our desires in coveting come from a desire where we're not satisfied with where we're at. We're not satisfied with our station in life. Well, this is a nice house, but look at their house. This is a a nice position we're in. Let's borrow against it to further ourselves and better ourselves. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Jesus will later explain to the church who is our neighbor. So our neighbor is essentially anyone, especially when it comes to those who are in need. So where does stealing, murder, adultery come from? What's the sin behind these sins? Exodus shows us that it is this discontent. We're not satisfied with where we're at, what we have, Oh, look at his wife. I mean, seriously, this is what it's saying. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Look at his wife. If only my wife looked like her. Isn't that essentially what it says? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. If only my car was as good as his. And it's this case of discontentment. Coveting is the, the outward expression of discontent, which is the inward part of it. That's where it's beginning. And so one begins to covet something because they're not satisfied where they're at. Now these are matters you can take into prayer. And that prayer can be as simple as, Lord, teach me to love you enough to be content with where I'm at. That's a simple prayer. It's possibly a dangerous prayer. Teach me to love you enough in the present world to say, thank you, thank you, Father, despite the ebb and the flow of life. Despite what's coming into my life. Oh, so many times, you know, when, when somebody gives us a little blessing, for example, and we open it up and, and they've given us a gift and maybe a financial gift and, and we go, thank you, Lord. I reckon not many of you have gone out to the letterbox and pulled out that bill from a linter or whoever and opened that up and said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Most of us have said these darn energy companies. Look at how much they're ripping me off. When you and I are dead to this world, to everything that's in it, the good and the bad, when God is more important to us than even the good, when God is more important to us, in that that time, that's when we have our face turned toward God. As such, that we are open faced with Him. We're not turning our face from God. 
then we're ready by faith to function in this present world with contentment in our hearts to live as though dead and resurrected to the glory of God. That's how we're to live. People speak of the millennial reign and won't it be great and, man, it'll be great. But Paul is really talking about living that way now, living a life that is thinking like that now. An illustration, I know a little bit about this kind of thing, delivering stuff. The delivery guy says, I have a package for Mr. Joe Sinner. And Joe says, Joe Sinner died and didn't leave a forwarding address. And there's Joe Sinner, he's buried there. My name is Joe Sanctified and I refuse delivery. This is what Paul says in Romans 6 verse 11. Likewise, reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin. But it doesn't stop there, does it? But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, it wasn't enough. He's not, it's not enough for him here. He's, he's not saying, uh, you know, that Joe Sinner died, full stop, and didn't leave a forwarding, forwarding address. My name is Joe Sanctified. And I refuse delivery. He is thinking this way that Paul's talking about. He's alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I mean, it might be a little bit unusual, but maybe we need to have a, a headstone, you know, in the house to remind us that we're dead to sin. That would be a talking point if visitors, if you invited someone around for dinner. What's going on there? Oh, yeah, that's from when I died to sin. <coughs> be an instant, instant intro into a gospel message, wouldn't it? You know? Romans 6 verse 13, and do not present. So here's the application of your faith, right? You want to talk about living the Christian life. Don't present your members, your body, okay? Don't present your members as instruments. The word instruments is weapons or arms or tools. So an instrument could be a plowshare, a shovel. In, that could be an instrument or in warfare it could be a weapon of some sort and back in those times a shield and a sword. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. How could a soldier present his instruments as unrighteousness to sin? Well, he could go and murder people indiscriminately. That would be immoral for him. He has those weapons and he could go and do that and murder indiscriminately. How could he instead present himself as, uh, as, a, as a worker of righteousness? It would be to defend and only be involved in righteous action. And this is the illustration that Paul is speaking of, that you and I have the potential to take our bodily members, our hands, our mouths, often given to much sin, our eyes, and give them to being applied to unrighteousness. 
So then Paul says, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. This is a daily thing, beloved, an hourly thing, minute by minute, that we are yielding ourselves to God in communion with him. We're saying, God, I'm dead to sin. Help me to walk alive to you. I'm presenting my members to you. Let let my hands and my mouth and my eyes be used to your glory today. Start with the mouth. There's something all day long you have the opportunity to use for the glory of God. But present yourselves to God as being alive right now. As being alive from the dead. This is how Paul is telling us to think. Think about this, beloved. Don't give your bodily members as instruments of sin, but think about this. Present your instruments right now. Present yourself as being alive to God right now. And your members as instruments of righteousness. This is the calling for us. What, what's, what is the calling for each Christian on the basis of all, all of this? It's a calling to live moment by moment, dead to all things of the world, dead to everything that might pull us away from yielding to God in the moment. Now, this is not passive. Christianity is not passive. You and I are made in the image of God. Present your members. This is an activity. Schaefer called it a passive activity. Passive in that we're willing to accept what God brings to us in life. We're willing to accept those things which we see as negative and positive. We, we love the positives much more, don't we? We like to open the letterbox each day and see checks come in the mail. We, we had that experience uh, on Friday, Suzanne and I, we got two checks from the power company, one for $8.53 and the other for $0.47 cents, seven cents because they'd made an oversight. Oh, ten, cents. $0.10. Cents. There you go. They'd made an oversight apparently. Yes. You, you don't bring forth fruit. It's God who brings forth fruit in you. And it's in this active passivity that you and I are praising God and accepting the things that come to us in life, both the, the things that, are, that seem positive and the things that feel negative, but are actually positive things, that God is working all things for good for those who love the Lord, that we're accepting those things and we are walking with him, and in that, God brings forth the fruit in our lives. The word present, and do not present your members, the word present is from a Greek word, peristomy, and it means to stand by or to keep at the ready is a term. Present your members, keep them at the ready. Another meaning of it is to be at hand. Don't you hate it when something you use regularly and you go looking for it and where is it, where is it? And, you know, you've put it somewhere where it's not at hand. It's not ready to go. When you get in the car and you you put your drink bottle on the back seat with your bag or whatever and as you're not thinking and then you're driving down the road and you think, man, I'm thirsty and you can't reach your bottle. 
because it's behind you. Don't do anything stupid and try and reach back and get it. That's the Vic Road safety message for today. But this means that we are to present all the members of our body in readiness for service. The back seat is where you could put your phone. Um, that doesn't need to be at hand while you're driving. Another safety message. Romans 6, 16 to 19. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself? The, the word present there is that of a yielding yourself. To whom you yield yourself? Slaves to obey. Notice that Paul says that you're the one who does the yielding. To when, when it comes to being enslaved either to sin or to righteousness, it's you who does the yielding. Yeah. It's me. I can't blame that old devil or I can't blame someone else. Why did I do this? Oh, Suzanne really drove me to anger and I erupted. I can't blame her for my actions. Don't you, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. It's whom you give yourself to. They become your slave master. 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered the, the word here is teaching, that form of teaching to which you were delivered. And this is a teaching, a, a doctrine affects behavior. The stuff we believe affects the way we behave. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin through that obedience to the message, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as, as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, who's been born again? Show us your hand. So now, beloved, present, keep at the hand, keep at the ready, your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Your mind, that's the, probably the most important member. Because, you know, like the little child who was told to sit down and kept standing up until finally he sat down and then said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Where's that happening? That's happening right there. And, you know, we can go, oh, yeah, hi, brother, it's so nice to see you. <laughs> we can be thinking something entirely different while we put on a fake front. We can be thinking sins and already committing them mentally. That's what Jesus deals with in the Sermon on the Mount. When he talked about people 
committing adultery. And he says, no, 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 no. When you look at someone to lust after them, you've already committed the action in your heart. Coveting. It's in the heart. You can feel the force of this passage, can't you? There is an, there's a force of activeness involved in this, that you and I are possessing an activity of the mind to guard the heart. We're yielding ourselves to, to sin, yielding ourselves to righteousness, one or the other, all the time. All the time. All the time. That doesn't go away. It's one or the other. And that's why the biggest battle you're going to face is in this realm of the mind. There's only one who is self-sufficient, and that is God. You and I are his creatures. And as his creatures, we're introduced to a great reality. And that is that as his creatures... We're called to live in a high and a glorious way, not because we are caused to by God, but because we must choose to, that we can glorify him out of that choice. When when sin lies on one side or righteous action on the other, if God was just driving us like an automaton and we're just going through life and he's, he's switching the train tracks all the time and we're going down the path of righteousness by God's hand and by his urging, there would be no glory in that for him because we would not be loving him out of choice. But when sin lies at the one hand and we may be feeling strong temptation, but we say to him, God, I'm yielding my body to you in this time to walk in this act of righteousness, he gets great glory out of that. We're glorifying him. We're saying, God, you deserve this action in my life. You deserve this show of love. And Lord, I'm tempted, but your love is greater. Well, I tell you, that's actually quite exciting. Romans chapter 6 presents us with these exciting possibilities. Being a creature who, who, who brings glory to God by choice. The choices you make each day. And you may not even think about that very deeply at the time. You just might think, oh man, that sin's arisen again. I... No way, I've, I'm done with that. And, you, and you're just walking on, not thinking about it, but God's being glorified as you make those right choices and as you yield your body. But it would be good for us to say, God, that temptation's back. Lord, thank you that I can give my body to you and to your service. My eyes for your service, my mouth for your service. Oh, I had a, a cutting sarcasm when I first became a believer. I mean, I'm sarcastic now, but I, I endeavour to be sarcastic about things that I know don't hurt people, where before I'd be sarcastic in what I thought was a, a cutting kind of joke because that's the way I was kind of raised, you know, with the family. And, 
And uh, it was when my wife made me aware that it was hurting her, the things I was saying. She didn't get it. So I needed to stop that. And that's a... I didn't give it that much thought at the time other than the damage it was causing to her. But in stopping that, I was not yielding my mouth as an instrument to sin, damaging someone else. It's a very simple thing. This is this active passivity where where the things of life are coming on and we can't stop those, but it's not a resignation. In In that... arrival of life to us. We're being active about the way we deal with that. Rejected, slain, raised. That's the the pattern, remember? And then Paul says, now live to Christ. Now. When? Now? You mean now? So what when does that mean? When does that mean? <laughs> now. And when we get to tonight, that'll mean now. There's got to be one in every crowd, doesn't there? A couple in this crowd. A couple in this crowd. The resurrection life is not once for all. We've been justified in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And raised to live that is in the ongoing present tense. Raised to live in newness of life. Hallelujah. Oh, I did a little wave of the hands here. Heading down to the deep south. This is a moment by moment way of living, isn't it? That That we live dead to all else and alive to God. Sin will appear more disgusting in those times. Sin will appear less attractive. That's a, that is a real positive. We are to live by faith now as though we had already been raised from the dead. Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. When is was? It's happened, isn't it? It's past tense. That's already occurred. Past tense. That's behind you. Our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. So has that happened? It's done away with. That we should no longer... Be slaves of sin. There's a, you know, there's a passivity to this because you can't crucify yourself. It's not going to work. You need someone else to help you with that. So we can't crucify ourselves, but when we came to faith in Christ in repentance, we were crucified with him. That's how scripture sees us. That's how we're to see ourselves. Verse 11, Likewise, 
You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When? When should we do that? Now? This is an activity in in the Christian life, that we're actively pursuing a life that glorifies God. Yielding and obeying. Christ died in history, rose in history. We died with Christ when we placed faith in him as Saviour. We will be raised by him as he was raised, but we're to live by faith as though we are now dead and we're to live by faith now as though we had already been raised from the dead. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is active passivity. Well, that's the end of this section, and you'll be excited that the next section is not in our strength, but in the Spirit's power. Hallelujah. We're we're going to learn that true spirituality is not achieved in the individual's own strength. We'll uncover the how of the true Christian life. Amen. How believers must function in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, And this is not this seeking of craziness that came out of the Torontos and the Pensacola movements and all that kind of thing, but a genuine empowerment of the Spirit, an empowerment of the Spirit that leads to the fruit of the Spirit being demonstrated in a person's life, being shown in a person's life, that that genuine giftings are functioning in the church as the Spirit sees the need for people to be ministered to in those giftings, edifying the body of believers. This is the nature of true Christianity. I wonder if you have considered how you can reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. I wonder if you've thought about that. I wonder if there are areas in your life that have been unyielded. What about what about coveting? We mentioned the Tenth Commandment before out of Exodus 20. What about coveting? Is that an issue for you? Let's let's change coveting, the word coveting, because it sounds a little sanitised sometimes. Let's change it to lust. It's the same thing. But lust, we associate the word lust with generally sexual um, desires. Paul says, though, that I would not have known lust had the law not said, you shall not covet. So you can lust after things as well as sexual things. So is lust an area that has been unyielded in your life? That in that area you're falling down to it, you're yielding yourself to it, and it's becoming the servant, uh, the, the slave master to you. 
What about lying? Is it easier to surrender to lying because the consequence of telling the truth is going to be hurtful or harmful or detrimental to you in some way? Are you yielding to putting yourself before others? Come on, I battle with that. What about anger? Is that something that you're yielding to? That that you know you you describe it. Oh, it's just this explosive rage. Something triggers me. It gets under my skin, and you know, next thing I'm exploding. I can promise you. That explosion has not come from nowhere. You are yielding to that anger and at some point then it overflows. But you're in complete control that whole time. These are decisions that are being made. Choose the active passivity. Choose the opposite direction. Show love instead of anger. There are probably many other Questions we can ask about. Husbands, love your wives. What about that? Are you, is it unyielded in that area? Do you not love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? I mean, when you think about that, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right there, that restricts so many options in our lives, doesn't it? So many options. Because every day there are options before us. But that one verse out of Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives in the same manner that Christ did by giving himself sacrificially. What does that mean? Yoke with her. Love her. Serve her as Christ served the church. That's how Paul describes to the Philippians what Jesus did. That he abandoned the throne of heaven to come to earth and take on this form that he could serve us. He served her, the church. That whole thing that has come out about the woman's submission and everything, and there is a genuine biblical standard of that, but it's been taken so wrongly out of Western Christianity for the last 50, 80 years. What about loving your wife biblically? I tell you, you can either yield to your own desire, I don't want to put up with the headaches, Come on. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to love her biblically. And we will work through this biblically. There there is no other position in that, is there? There's no other position. 
Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I tell you what, if we make ourselves alive to God, if we are yielding ourselves to the Lord on our knees before him, saying, Lord, here I am. I'm taking on what you're bringing me and I'm going to actively yield to you in this life. If we do that, sin will not reign in your mortal members. It won't reign. It'll still appeal. It'll still tempt. And there might be times we still yield to it. But it won't reign in your life. Your life will not be walking in sin. It'll be walking in victory. Hallelujah. And it's about, it starts up here with how we account ourselves. Are we alive to sin or dead to sin? Are we yielding to sin or yielding to righteousness and alive to God? That's the position to put ourselves in. And we're going to do that through the power of the Spirit. But there are people talk about the power of the Spirit as if the power of the Spirit will make you do all that stuff. If the power of the Spirit made you do all that stuff, then Paul would not have to say, don't yield your members to sin, but yield them to righteousness. He wouldn't have to say that because there is an active passivity. There is an act of obedience that we take to walk with the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for your love and your grace towards us. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for his death, his resurrection, his glorification and ascension. We praise you for this. Lord God, we thank you that by faith we've been buried with him, crucified with Christ and raised to newness of life. Help us, Father, to walk in that newness of life. Lord, we love you and we praise you for all the love you've shown us in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.